athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, when Donald Ware. You're locked into the Dopey Show on radio. From the press box to press row, I am your host, Donald Ware. Hope you're continuing to be safe where you are. There are a lot of reopenings, if you will, that are happening around the country. As a matter of fact, here in the state of North Carolina, uh, as of Friday at 5 p.m., we began what's called Phase 1. So basically, uh, all of North Carolina under a stay-at-home order. If you don't have to go to the grocery store, have to go get something to eat, then generally you should not be out. That phase one now, it's still, and and then there's some other things uh, with respect to the stay-at-home order. I mean, you can't have more than, I think it was more than maybe five five or ten people that could gather in one specific place. But phase one of the reopening, not much different here in the state of North Carolina from the stay-at-home order other than you have more stores that may be open now. For instance, barbershops, nail salons still cannot open. You still cannot congregate or have church uh, service inside, but you can have drive-up church service. There are some other stores that may be opening up. I, I don't know, maybe dry cleaners are part of the stores that uh, can reopen. But, you know, I, I we need to try to get back to some form of normalcy. There's no question about that. we got to get the economy going. There are a lot of people that are out of work. A lot of people have applied for unemployment and all of those kind of things. So you want to be able to get people back to work, get the economy going once again. But you got to be smart about it. So if you happen to go out, still continue to social distance. If you have a mask, you should wear it. Uh, I think the last I heard in terms of masks are that they at least protect uh, if you have you know, the coronavirus uh, or symptoms, maybe you're asymptomatic, um, it at least protects other people. So uh, I don't know why that's not a mandate. I think at least on air, airplanes, uh, it's going to become a mandate. Surprised that it's not already surprised in some places that it's not already, in fact, a mandate. But the bottom line is continue to be smart, continue to stay safe and uh, just use some uh, just use really some common sense. Listen, we got a, we got some things to get to into today here on from the press box to press row. Don Shula, former coach, more notably of the Dolphins and of the Baltimore Colts, where he won an NFL championship, passed away earlier in the week at the age of 90. The all time winning as coach. I think a lot of times we've gotten so caught up in what Bill Belichick has done. And Bill Belichick has done an absolutely phenomenal job. There was the the 30 for 30 documentary on the two Bills, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, which I thought was excellent. Learned a lot about Bill Belichick, as a matter of fact, even before he became the head coach of the Patriots and was an excellent, uh, just an excellent assistant coach, an excellent uh, defensive coordinator. And, He's an exceptional coach. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But when you're talking about Don Shula, you're talking about a man that coached in the National Football League 33 seasons, coached some of the greatest players to ever play, some of the great quarterbacks. When you're talking about Johnny Unitas, you're talking about Dan Marino. Um, I mean, he's coached some phenomenal players, passed away at the age of 90, the all-time winningest coach in the National Football League. Uh, remember, I think one of the things that we forget about the Dolphins, 
The Dolphins went undefeated in 1972, won that Super Bowl against the Redskins, but then won the Super Bowl in 1973 also. I think that gets lost because the 72 team was so great. It was a perfect team, undefeated, won the Super Bowl. We get, we forget that that 1973 team won the Super Bowl. And oh, by the way, in 1971, the Dolphins also went to the Super Bowl in the second season with Don Shula at the helm went to, I believe two more Super Bowls. The last being in 19, what was that? The 1983 Super Bowl after the 1982 season, uh, when the Redskins won that, I think that, I think the Dolphins went to one, I think they went to one more, yeah, one more Super Bowl lost to San Francisco. If not, if I'm not mistaken, maybe that was 85 Dan Marino it may have been Dan Marino's first season. So you're talking about taking, and, and then, of course, with the Colts, as mentioned, NFL Championship 1968. I mean, you're talking about a man that won three Super Bowls. It's hard to win one Super Bowl. You got great coaches that haven't even won one Super Bowl. He won three. So I think a lot of times we get caught up in what Bill Belichick is doing. Um, you think about the Lombardi Trophy. You you think about Vince Lombardi, the greatness of Vince Lombardi. There's no doubt about that. I mean, my, my thought is... You know, I, I, it's it's hard for me to put anybody uh, over Vince Lombardi when you think about what Vince Lombardi was able to accomplish with the Packers. And then even remember that his first and only season with the Redskins turned a dismal or an abysmal franchise around and had a winning season in 1969. But boy, Don Shula, the the all time winningest coach in National football history and professional football um, passed away earlier. And so with that, we're going to be joined by one of the all-time great players in the National Football League, a pro football Hall of Famer, Larry Little, who played offensive guard. Larry Little going to join us today here on the program. Speaking of the National Football League, the National Football League came out with its schedule, plans to start on time with the season, plans to have the Super Bowl as it does uh, every year, the big game as it does every year, that first Sunday in February. They, I mean, it, it's almost like the NFL is operating as if we're not under uh, the coronavirus. I mean, I'm all for I, I want to get back to normalcy as much as possible. And we're going to see, you know, a UFC bout this weekend where, you know, Major League Baseball is talking about how can we get back to playing games. I think, and before I talk about the National Football League, I think the sport that has the opportunity, the ability, and that's most practical that could get going right away would be Major League Baseball. We're seeing this Korean baseball that's being played, but Major League Baseball, because I mean, you'd have to, you know, in the dugout scenario, you'd have to figure out how to practice social distancing from that vantage point. But, I mean, it's so spread out. It's already spread out. I think that one of the things you'd have to figure out is how the umpire catcher dynamic would go because the generally the, the umpire behind the plate is right up on the catcher. You know, when you're in Little League, you can go behind the mound and call balls and strikes that way uh and, but you know major league baseball is a lot different but i think if any sport is ready to to make it happen it's major league baseball obviously nascar is going to start uh next week um uh next sunday as well in darlington uh but i think major league baseball is in the best position to uh be able to get things started back to the national football league um you know you have so many people i mean it's probably the sport, not just the National Football League, but football as a whole, probably the sport that probably is going to have to figure out the most how it can get going. 22 guys on the field at all times, right up uh, at each other. Um, you know, how do you, I mean, how do you deal with that? And by the way, they're saying that this COVID-19 pandemic, the coronavirus is, is going to get worse as you know, the months go on, maybe even in the fall. So, I mean, you know, my thing is, yeah, you should you you should operate um, as uh, as 
you believe things are going to happen. But I think you, you know, if you're going to say, well, we're going to do everything on time, it's not really going to affect us. You should you should also, to me, at the same time, announce what some of the contingency plans are in case we're not at that level. I just don't see how we're going to be at that level uh, by the time the season starts. Uh, you haven't even talked about when training camp is going to start, how you're going to prepare for the season. I mean, they, they haven't even talked about that. So, I'm, you know, just, you know, is and my question to you, because even with the other sports in terms of the way that the sports are talking, like NASCAR has laid out a plan, okay? Um, some of the other sports, um, again, the NBA, Major League Baseball, at least talking about um, – not starting, but when we can start. The NFL says this is when we're starting. But is it arrogance on the part of the National Football League to say we plan on starting on time and playing a Super Bowl on time without also saying how you're going to do it or, um, you know, it, basically how you're going to do it? Is that arrogance on the part of the NFL? Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B O X T O R O W. Also on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W, on my personal Twitter account. Follow me while you're there, at dware one at dware one Also on my personal Instagram account, at WearDonald. Thank you to all the great affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. How about B-G-C-S-N, Big Game Christian Sports Network, out of Dallas that carries this program. How about Bronco I Radio out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, that carries this program? Thank you. And to all of our great affiliates around the country that carry the program, those that listen to us on Sirius XM, channels 141 and 142, and those that listen to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. I'm up against a break. On the other side of this break, going to be joined by one of the greatest football players of all time, Larry Little, going to join us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And happy Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, we bought some funk and noise. 86 mom, and her boys. This is mama's family. I, I represent my new immigrant with my new Dish TV is better than cable TV. Here's why. Dish has the nation's lowest TV price, along with an award-winning DVR that can skip commercials, record eight shows at once, and get access to thousands of movies at your fingertips. Cable simply can't even compare. So the smart choice is to cut the cable and get Dish. Plus, you get all these great TV features, free HD DVR upgrade, free installation, and free movie channels. Say goodbye to cable and get more with Dish TV. Call 800-579-0107. 800-579-0107. As an added bonus, you can switch to Dish now and receive a $50 Visa gift card. So call now and get Dish TV. 800-579-0107. 800-579-0107. That's 800-579-0107. Limited time offer, 24-month commitment, and credit qualification required. Cancellation fee, monthly equipment fees, and other restrictions apply. Promotion can change at any time. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're joined by a gentleman, as a matter of fact, played 14 seasons in the NFL, uh, signed originally by the Chargers out of Bethune, Cookman, uh, then college, uh, one of the greatest players to ever play in the National Football League, has been on the show in the past. He is Larry Little. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Larry, we appreciate you coming on the program. How are you and your family doing during this COVID-19 pandemic? Well, Donnell, we're trying to stay safe. We don't like everybody else across the country, really around the world, uh, with this uh, coronavirus going on. Yeah, no question. I, I, obviously, the the passing of uh, of your coach uh, with the Dolphins, Don Shula, earlier in the week. I just want to kind of get your thoughts on Don Shula and what he meant to you. Well, uh, you know, I was probably the first Dolphin to meet 
uh, shoes when he came. We called him Shoes. When he came to Miami, uh, I went to his press conference. Uh, and uh, the first thing he told me, first thing I said, Coach, uh, my name is Larry Little, and I'm your right guard. First thing he asked me, he said, how much do you weigh? I said, well, I'm at 285 right now. But he looked at me and walked off and said another word to me. And when I got my reporting letter, that uh, some of the report, uh, he had my weight to be 265. And I think that's what really propelled me to be a better football player than I was when I first got here in Miami. Yeah, that's a that's a great that's really a great story. I don't I don't think I mean obviously I don't think we talked about that the last time uh, we had you on. So uh, ultimately, what was your you know like you say you were already there. You had already been traded for uh, by the Dolphins. Had a phenomenal career. Um, what what was what were those first couple of of months, if you will, like leading into uh, that first season with uh, Coach Shula there in Miami? Well, uh, you know, in 1970, the year he came, that was the year of the first major NFL strike. And we didn't get to camp until the Sunday before we played our first preseason game against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Jacksonville. And I thought it was going to be a breeze week. You know, well, he knows we'll be playing the game, so he's not going to work it that hard. Man, this man came in. We had practice four times a day. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't do that today, though, Larry. Uh, you couldn't do that today, though. Oh no, man! Those guys they put on pads once a week nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the game is so soft now. Yeah. But uh, you know, we played. We only played in for the. We had six preseason games during that time, and. Uh, we had three times a day playing games on the weekend, preseason games on the weekend. Then we were practicing three times a day up until the last preseason game. So he was a, he was a taskmaster, man. He worked the hell out of us. <laughs> but, you know, that helped us become a pretty good football team, too. Yeah, a really, really good football team. I think, I think what, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. I think what gets lost, everybody talks about that 72 Super Bowl uh, and, and of course, you guys uh, went undefeated. But I think what gets lost is that you won a, a, the Super Bowl the very next year, uh, too, because everybody talks about the first one uh, and the fact that you went undefeated. But pre pre Don Shula, what what you only had one season in 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 Miami pre Don Shula. What was that one season in Miami like? My first year in Miami, uh, I played under George Wilson, who was a coach. And we were three, ten, and one. Now, on a hot day like it is today in Miami, like 92 degrees here in Miami, Georgia tell her, oh, what the hell, go jump in the pool. Oh, we went for a rude awakening when Shula got here. <laughs> that never happened. So he was more of a, re- a relaxed guy, more, of a, more like a player's coach? Yeah, he was. George just relaxed. He, you know, and, and Shula had worked under him before, too, at Detroit. But he was the head coach with the Lions. But, uh, you know, it, they, were all, it, they, it, they were like night and day. Yeah. I'll put it that way. George was easy going. Shuru was a hellraiser. And uh, but he did, his thing was to get the most out of his players, and that's what he did. Yep. Larry Little is a pro football Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players to ever play in the National Football League. Played 14 years in the league, 12 of those for the Miami Dolphins. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. With that, Larry, what was sort of – before I even ask you about that first season, how did you, you – you had to lose, what, 20 pounds? How, how did you – you know, was, was, was Don Shula right there making sure you lost? How did you go about losing that – you know, that amount of weight you he wanted you to, in fact, lose. Well, uh, you know, I knew it was something I had to do. You know, I, I became more disciplined in what I was eating. You know, what, what I was eating and and, I, and the hot weather down there didn't hurt either. So uh, that really helped me. And I worked out hard and uh, I, I did fake a pass out on him one day in practice, though. <laughs> Say that again. You did what? I faked like I passed out one day in practice <laughs> that first week. Because I told my roommate that at the time I wasn't going to let the fool kill me going four times a day. 
I, I hit the ground. I had one eye open. They put me in the station wagon. They took me into the locker room and started packing me in ice. And I said, oh, hell, I got to take a plan B now. <laughs> so I jumped up like I was having hallucinations. <laughs> and uh, finally got the ice off me. They started sending me to different doctors. No doctor could find anything wrong with me. Then they sent me to an internist. I went to the internist. He said, Larry, I just can't find a thing wrong with you. You one of the most healthiest specimens I've ever seen. I said, well, Doc, you've got to find something. <laughs> you say, well, you do have a slight sinus problem. I'm going to put that on there, and I don't care. <laughs> That's so. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, you've. I mean, you've told that. I mean, but when did it ultimately come out that you were faking? But you know, it's now too. Let me put it in there. I'm not. You see any videos of some of the parties we were having? Or they'd be showing them all week on the NFL Network. You see me kidding them about it. Hey, man, yeah, I got you. You thought I was out and I wasn't out. <laughs> you just started laughing. I believe you knew I was faking anyway. You knew I was a hell of a football player. But anyway, uh, you know, the man, he got the most out of his players. I knew he got the most out of me. And although he raised sad, but you hated to be the one of the people that disappointed him. And we talked about the 72 team. We were a great football team. But we were a better football team in 1973. Yeah. We uh, we had an easier schedule in 1972 than we had in 1973, although we lost two games. But see, this is what upsets a lot of us that played on both teams. We only lost two games in two years. And when they talk, we weren't, we, although we were named the, first, the best team in the 100 year history of the NFL, but it took the longest for people to recognize us that way. Uh, and uh, we lost only five games in three years. Now, there's no, never been a team in history that had a run like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's my point. I mean, I guess that 72 team really overshadowed all the other teams because it was perfection. Yeah, because we were, we were, we were perfect. And we were, you know, going undefeated. I mean, it's been 46 years, and no one has done it since. Pro Football Hall of Famer Larry Little joins us here on the program. So what did it mean, especially for you? Because, I mean, you're coming out of Bethune-Cookman. Uh, and it's interesting. And I, I want to get a – I got a couple of things I want to get to with you as a former coach at both your alma mater, Bethune-Cookman, uh, and at North Carolina Central. Um, but a guy that went undrafted out of Bethune, uh, then with the Chargers for a couple of years, uh, the one year with Miami pre-Don Shula, what did it? I mean, what what did you know um, about him? How maybe I don't know. Excited were you for him coming in, knowing that he had led the Colts to an NFL championship and had one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in Johnny Unitas. Well, uh, when when I was coming out of Bethune Cookman, I came into I went into the league, although it was AFL at the time the league had merged, uh, I have a chip on my shoulder because I've been told by three different teams and that doing those days, yeah, like 21, 20 something draft picks. And I was told by three different teams that I was going to be drafted. And the Dominic, they on draft day, on the draft days, I mean, because uh, he had like three days talking about, you know, getting drafted. My room in the dormitory was right next to the phone booth. I wouldn't let anybody get to the phone, near the phone, waiting on a phone call that never came. Wow. And uh, that, then, uh, the, ironically, the Baltimore Colts were the first team to contact me to sign up for agent. And I asked the guy, I said, well, uh, am I going to get a bonus? He said, no, we don't give free bonuses. So I didn't sign with them. Uh, the next day, the San Diego Chargers called me because we had a scout. They had a scout that lived in the Daytona Beach area. And uh, he came and said, Larry, the San Diego Chargers, we want to sign you. I said, are oh, you going to give a bonus? He said, yeah, we're going to give you $750. I jumped to it. 
And uh, when I went to San Diego, see, actually, a lot of people didn't realize this either. I was a nose guard in college, although my first three years, you had to play both ways. But my senior year, I was a, strictly a defensive tackle nose guard. And when I got to San Diego, they timed us in the 40-yard dash. And I ran the 40-yard dash a 4-9 in pads. Hmm. So uh, a couple of days, and I was there a week before the other rookies. All the fridges, they bought all the fridges there before the drafted rookies. And uh, that kind of upset me because I thought I wanted to be one of the best. But, you know, I made it through the first week. They cut a lot of guys the first week and kept me around. Then they came up with a brilliant idea, me with my speed, that I could be a fullback. When they moved me to fullback, I thought they were getting ready to cut me. <laughs> right. And... Uh, but the line, offensive line coach by the name of Joe Maggio saw something in me, and he asked Gilman to try me out at, at guard, and the rest is history. Yeah, no question about that. We're talking with Pro Football Hall of Famer Larry Little here about the life and times of Don Shula here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back with more with Larry Little. All right, we're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row talking with Pro Football Hall of Famer Larry Little played uh, 12 seasons with the Miami Dolphins, 14 total uh, in the National Football League or, or AFL slash NFL. You know, interestingly enough, Larry, on the other side of the break, you mentioned um, not getting drafted. And I, I, we, we, I did a piece um, about the, the HBCU players not getting drafted. Only one player got drafted this time around. It's really, really dwindled. And, of course, you're one of those players. I mentioned Willie Brown uh, and not getting drafted, went on to a Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, career. Obviously, you were uh, as well. As a former coach also at HBCUs, Bethune-Cookman in North Carolina Central, why aren't – I mean, what is it? Why aren't uh, HBCU players being drafted as much? Because the other thing is this. You're still seeing – a lot of HBCU players playing in the National Football League, a lot of them, like you did, signed free agent deals. They are, I think it's 26 Hall of Famers for HBCU. Third, actually, it's 30. There's 30. Well, there's 33 30 now. 30. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 30. Yep. And both those, a lot of those guys were free agents, and they were, they were signed by the whole AFL. Right. When the league merged, they became the NFL. But, you know, we, going, being in the Hall of Fame, and then especially, too, when you have a coach, when he trade you, like my coach did say, when he traded me, oh, ironically, I was trading for my high school teammate. <laughs> Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And his name was Mag Lamb. And uh, when he traded me, Sid Gilman called it a nothing-for-nothing nothing deal. Ooh. So, you know, and that, like, came to mind I had something to prove because I was so they were just getting rid of me because they didn't think I was good enough, and I had to prove myself all over again when I came came here to Miami. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, why why do you think, I mean, I know you, you coached a while back. It's been 20-plus 20, 20 years. But why isn't, why aren't, I mean, what do you think? Why, why aren't HBC, obviously with the talent, I mean, you can look at, you know, you can look at Darius Leonard, Javon Hargrave. Uh, you can look at Tariq Cohen. I mean, the list goes Antoine, but they still playing in the league. Why aren't guys getting drafted out of HBCUs now? I don't know. Well, if 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 they get drafted, you will see them in the last round. Yep. Maybe the seventh round. You know, just like uh, the guy from uh, Tennessee State, I think this year drafted. Yep, correct. He was in the seventh, yeah, the seventh pick. Yes, sir. And uh, but the rest of, but look what the kid from uh, South Carolina State did at, at uh, the coach with the coach. Right. I mean, the guy proved that he's one hell of a football player. Yeah. Uh, this year, I think what really happened that they could not go around and work guys out on campus. But I don't think that many would sign the free agents this year. And I because I was talking to someone the other day. 
about this kid from Bethune Cookman named Robinson. Correct. There's no doubt in my mind that this young man could play in the NFL. He has all the tools to play in the NFL. But when he wasn't able to work out, you know, nothing happened. They were going to have an HBCU camp down here at Dolphins camp this year. And they had to cancel that because of the virus. So that hurt a lot of HBCU kids this year. But I see North Carolina Central had a line with a sign, I think, for someone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, kid know, from last from a couple he's from a couple years. Head coach played for me there, Trey Oliver. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Wow, so Sam okay, so you Sam Washington was I didn't realize that. I guess I I guess I wouldn't even think in that way. Sam Washington was your DC. Yeah, I bought Sam. Sam, I gave Sam the first coaching job. At Bethune Cookman. I make him uh, he was my defensive backfield coach at Bethune Cookman. Then you have uh Dawson Odom. I didn't know him as Dawson until he got a head coaching job. He was always Tyrone to us. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the head coach at Southern. Yep. Then you have uh Adrian Jones, right there in Raleigh. Shaw, correct. He played for me at North Carolina Central also. Yep. So, you know, a lot of my guys are now an extension of me. You know, they're all doing well. I'm proud of them. And uh, they keep in touch. Uh, in fact, one of my assistant coaches called me uh, yesterday. Was my, one of my assistant coaches over at North Carolina Central. And told me he had, the day before he had played golf with Odom somewhere in Mississippi. They had played golf together. So, you know, that's that closest that we had. Wow. Wow. Larry Little, Pro Football Hall of Famer, joins us in the program. Wow. You, you got a nice coaching tree there, uh, Larry. Uh, let, let me – that 71 team, uh, t- tell me about that uh, Dolphins team from 71 precursor to obviously the 72 team. I mean – for a team to be able to go to three straight Super Bowls is fantastic, and I guess a lot of it began with that 71 team. Yeah, we were the only team to go to three straight and win two. Uh, Buffalo went to four straight and didn't win any. Uh, the 71 team, we were still a young team because we had lost the first year in the playoffs to the Raiders, Oakland. Oakland beat us. Our goal was to get back to the playoffs again the next year and get to the Super Bowl, in which we did. Uh, we were not ready to play when we played Dallas and New Orleans, and they beat us. And uh, the first thing Shula did when we got back to training camp in 1972, we saw, we, he made us look at that film and said, I, don't, I want you guys to see this film because I don't want you to ever have that feeling of losing in the Super Bowl again. We knew we had a good football team. We were just taking one game at a time. We were not going to, we didn't even talk about going undefeated. We just wanted to get back to the Super Bowl. Now, the only time I, I think we felt pressure, well, I know when I felt pressure, was at the last, was the last game of the year after we went 14-0. and because we knew if we didn't win our next three games, we wouldn't have attained our goal, which is to go and uh, to get win a Super Bowl. So that happened, and we won it. And uh, to this day, we're still the best team in history. I don't give a damn what nobody says. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can't, but you know what, Larry? You can't argue with perfection. No, it's no question you are. Yep. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people try to throw the. 49 of them, they're the best team ever in other teams. But, no, we are the best team ever. Until somebody uh, go undefeated, uh, they will top what we did. They'll just join us on top of the mountain. Yeah. yeah. Although they play more games now, as long as you have that goose egg on there, you're still the same. Yeah. No, there's no question about it. You were the definitely that 72 team. I'm the first to do it. No question about that. What kind of play to describe? I know you were the kind, like you said, you played with a chip on your shoulder. Everything I read, 
you know, you you wanted. I mean, you just were a player rugged, uh, wanted to hit somebody. Describe sort of your playing style and probably some of the stuff you did probably uh, can't do today, right? Oh, well, I played offensive guard with a defensive mentality. You know, I, I still had a lot of defense in me from playing defense in college. And I and I like to punish people when I was playing college football. And uh, I had that same mentality when I got into uh, got into, went into the league. And I wanted to punish people without maiming them. I just wanted to punish them. No, no question. Uh, being a, blocking for Larry Zonka, Mercury Morris, Jim Kick. I mean, that was one heck of a backfield. Three guys with different styles. Zonk, as yet we all know, was a horse. And if, if you were blocking, most of the time he was running straight right behind us. And we ran 80% of the plays behind me. I knew if I didn't blow that guy out in front of me, Zonk would have put that big head in my back. Uh, with Mercury, I knew I had to use my speed to go out there in front of him in sweep. And with Jim, Jim ran sweeps too, but I know I didn't have to run as fast as I had to do with Mercury. And But Jim was just an all-around good football player. Now, we were the first team in NFL history to have 2,000-yard runners on the team the same year. But what a lot of people didn't realize, that same year, uh, Jim Kick gained over 500 yards rushing because we probably had the best overall offensive line in the history of the NFL. And all of us came from different places. Only one guy, not one guy on the line in 1972 originally came to the Miami Dolphins. Wow. Yeah, uh, uh, Norm Evans, the right tackle that played next to me, Norm was on the expansion draft from the Houston Oilers back in the day. Then you had uh, myself at right guard. Jim Langer was cut by the Cleveland in uh, Cleveland Browns, the center, and he came. He he also made the Hall of Fame. Bob Kuchberg had been cut by the Eagles playing semi-pro football somewhere, and Wayne Moore was a basketball player in college with a free to come out of high school. So our line coach Monty Clark, I give a lot of credit to put us together, the players won, and made us as good as we were up front. That's why those running backs that we had were so successful. Yeah. No, there's no question about it. Last two thoughts uh, with uh, Larry Little, Pro Football Hall of Famer, joining us here on the program. Uh, what did it mean to you, uh, 1993, uh, to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? It was one of the greatest feelings I've ever had. You know, going undefeated was great. But we did that as a team. Going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, that was what that was me and what I did individually to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, you know, looking back at it, and the person that introduced me at the Hall of Fame was Don Shula. So, you know, we had our knockdown drag outs when I played, but, you know, I put it all behind me and do the man I felt should introduce me into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Wow, wow! So you, I, so you, I didn't realize that y'all, you all uh, didn't always see eye to eye, huh? Oh, he didn't. Oh no, <laughs> he didn't see eye to eye with anybody but his quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> but greasy, everybody but greasy, huh? Nobody but greasy. Yeah, greasy and Earl and Earl Mall. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, Earl won the majority of the games that year. See, and I didn't bring that up. Mm-hmm. We went, we won most of those games this year, that year with a backup quarterback. Wow, that's a, that's even more Earl impressive. Earl was our quarterback, and Greasy was hurt in the fourth game up until we played the uh, AFC Championship game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. Uh, obviously, familiarity there with with Coach Shula and then Earl Morrow. Uh, lastly, so you haven't coached in, well, you haven't at least collegiately, uh, in, in excess of 20 years. What are, what are you up to these days? Well, I did, uh, <laughs> the, I don't know if some of the indoor football that was down there, that was around. I did that with the indoor football team in Miami, but that, and we were, uh, I quit 
And that's the only time I ever quit anything. <laughs> what happened? Oh, we were like nine and over when I quit. But we were on a, we were on a, uh, a Winnebago. That's how we were traveling. The guys were on a bus. The coach was on a Winnebago. And I had the bed in the back room. And, uh, about three o'clock that morning, I was, I smelled something. What's that smell? <laughs> you know? Right. You could imagine what I was smelling. The coach was over the thing doing something that I didn't like. Oh. Yeah. And I, as I got back, I told him, I said, look, we had gotten stopped on this bus. We were going to Georgia. Whew. Nobody don't know none of you SOBs on the uh, Winnebago but me. My name would have been out there. Yeah. And I just couldn't do that anymore. I quit. Yeah. No, understand. But, but now I'm semi-retired. I, I will be fully retired in February. I'm uh, I work in, I'm community liaison with the Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Uh, my job is so easy. I could work there until if I live long enough till I'm a hundred. But I owe it to myself. And uh, my wife keeps getting on my kicking because she's getting ready to retire. She wants me to go on to retire, too. So I'll plan on retiring from this in, in February. Oh, man. That is awesome. Bethune Cookman, Hall of Famer, pro football Hall of Famer, played 14 seasons in the AFL slash NFL, 12 of those with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and again, a two-time Super Bowl champion. He is Larry Little. Joins us here from the press box to press row. Larry, I'm glad you did this. Always great to, to catch up with you. Uh, continued success to you, and, and, and we want you and your family to continue to stay safe. Anytime, Eric. You have a great one. You too, Larry. Larry Little joining us here on the program, talking about Don Shula's days uh, with the Dolphins in the old AFL and the National Football League and at Bethune-Cookman. Had him on the program, Larry Little, about maybe four or five years ago uh, as part of our HBCU Legends series. And so it was just great to talk with him um, about uh, Don Shula, those great days. He had some great stories that he shared with us. Reaction to anything that Larry Little had to say, Hit us up via Twitter at box to row B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. We've got more of From the Press Box to Press Row on the other side. Dish TV is better than cable TV. Here's why. Dish has the nation's lowest TV price, along with an award-winning DVR that can skip commercials, record eight shows at once, and get access to thousands of movies at your fingertips. Cable simply can't even compare. So the smart choice is to cut the cable and get Dish. Plus, you get all these great TV features, free HD DVR upgrade, free installation, and free movie channels. Say goodbye to cable and get more with Dish TV. Call 800-579-0107. 800-579-0107. As an added bonus, you can switch to Dish now and receive a $50 Visa gift card. So call now and get Dish TV. 800-579-0107. 800-579-0107. That's 800-579-0107. Limited time offer, 24-month commitment, and credit qualification required. Cancellation fee, monthly equipment fees, and other restrictions apply. Promotion can change at any time. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Join us on the conversation. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Wrapped up the conversation in the last segment with Pro Football Hall of Famer Larry Little talking about the life and times of Don Shula, passed away earlier in the week. The National Football League's all-time winningest coach. He was 90 years old. Let's switch gears a little bit and want to talk about the last dance, the docu-series that has been on ESPN, which really follows the last year of Michael Jordan and the Bulls in Chicago, that 97-98 season. And every, you know, it's like, and the way that 
it's set up. They go from talking about what's happened at that time, the 97, 98 season, maybe a moment, a couple of moments, and then they'll take you back to maybe uh, maybe uh, Jordan's earlier years uh, or perhaps even right before he retired. And especially they did it these last two segments. Uh, they've taken you right to maybe that 93 season, that season right before he, he retired. And you can sort of get a sense and see why he retired. And it's it's one thing when you're living in the moment, like at the time during 98, that 98 season, I was like 24 years old in the 93. Um, I, you know, obviously uh, uh, I was 19 uh, at that time during the 93 season. And it's like, wow, you really think back to those particular times and what was going on. And it really takes you back. And, you, you know, in excess of 20 years later for me, it gives me at least a different perspective. Again, as I've mentioned before, I, I wasn't a Michael Jordan fan. At all. I was more of a Magic Johnson fan and Michael Jordan really came into the league and really, really took the league by storm. Whereas Magic Bird, Dr. J helped to save the NBA in the late 70s because the NBA was struggling financially. The NBA didn't really have much of a of a TV package per se. I mean, I can even remember growing up in the mid 80s. Some of those games, the NBA finals games were taped. I mean, I can remember watching uh, Lakers were playing. I don't know if it was the Celtics one year, but I can remember watching that game and then immediately going outside. It was still like 730 quarter to eight going outside and playing. So that that's sort of how things were. Those games sometimes were on tape delayed or played at more obscure times and not in prime time. And so I wasn't a big Jordan fan, but man, Jordan was he came in the league, took the league by storm and really. You know, those Mars Blackman commercials with Spike Lee. And, you know, one of the interesting things, and this is something that I didn't know, his contract with Nike. So it was, at least in the series, he mentioned that he was an Adidas fan. So, you know, everybody had Converse. Like, I had the weapons back in the day. I had the Magic Johnson weapons. But everybody, you know, the Converse had always been the premier tennis shoe going back to the days of Chuck Taylor's. Um, into the 80s where you had Magic and Bird were the two high-profile guys that had shoe deals. And, you know, Bernard King and, you know, a lot of those really star players, Dr. J, had the were wearing those Converse and, more specifically, those weapons. So, um, really, Adidas at the time, uh, he Michael Jordan expressed wanting to be um, associated with Adidas, and Adidas really at the time said they couldn't do it. They'd love to have him. They could not make the deal. And, you know, one of the things I found interesting is with respect to those deals, that if you made $100,000 a year to represent a shoe company, that was really good at that time. And I was thinking, really? And Nike was sort of up and coming at that time. I remember uh, I remember having, I, I don't know, I think I had a, may have had a pair of Nikes or I, I don't know. I mean, they had all kind of shoes out at that time. Sla- I don't know. Who remembers slapsticks? Break into the beat. I got slapsticks on my feet. Now, I'm not saying I had the slapsticks, but I'm just saying it was sort of a plethora of shoes out at that time. Puma was sort of a big deal really at that time. Obviously, Puma's made a comeback. But imagine that going back 30 years ago or more where a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> was a great deal. I think when before LeBron even played a one game in the NBA, he had like a seven year, a hundred and five million dollar contract with Nike before he even played one basketball game. And I think what Nike gave Jordan was like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which obviously, I mean, that's more than twice what the maybe the top player was getting in terms of a shoe contract and they had David Falk his former agent uh was in the piece and he said that the projections that Nike had in terms of selling the specific Jordan shoe because remember those shoes just like with Magic and Bur- were spe- well in in it was really a little bit different um but the the shoes were specific 
to Michael Jordan. They said, oh, we'll maybe make about we project to maybe or think we, we'd have a good year if we made three million dollars. And Nike that first year with the Air Jordans ended up making one hundred and twenty six million dollars. Think about that and think about how much money that was at that time. So it's no wonder why Jordan has the relationship that he has with Nike, um, that he has the his own Jordan brand, uh, which is still very popular. It is extremely popular. They made mention of um, the whole political thing, which I thought was interesting uh, with respect to uh, to Harvey Gant and uh, Jesse Helms here in the state of North Carolina. Uh, Gant was the was a black man candidate running against um, Helms, uh, who was just uh, was really uh, boy. You know, you think about Jesse Helms, his name rings out badly throughout the state of North Carolina that he ha- even had back in the day. I don't have time to explain, but uh, what was then may I think it was maybe in like the 1980 race or something, the Black Hands. Um, uh, political ad that he did don't have time to really get into that maybe google it but i mean what jordan's base in essence said was uh people wanted him to endorse harvey gantt but in essence what he said is republicans buy i don't know if he said jordan or nike's too uh and so there was that whole political storm which he still which is still sort of followed him and is really uh quite frankly in part become part of his legacy from the standpoint of he didn't really get involved in political action like you may see LeBron James now and a lot of the players now but he didn't really get involved in that it was a different climate you know I mean now it's easy it's easy for us to say well look what LeBron does and not that it's great what LeBron does he brings uh, awareness to a lot of various situations uh, from a from a standpoint of maybe those that aren't in the know and it's a great thing. But at the, maybe at the time Jordan was coming through that, like that wasn't what you did. And so it's easy for the guys to kind of do it now. But I thought the last answer was great. I think it's a great it's a phenomenal uh, uh, piece. And I'm looking forward to this weekend. Got to get ready to run here on from the press box to press row. Want to thank Larry Little for joining us today here on the program. Want to welcome our newest affiliate. And those that listen to us in Holly Hill, South Carolina, and surrounding areas on WJBS, thank you for making From the Press Box to Press Row a part of your day. Happy Mother's Day to all the wonderful mothers out there. Uh, uh, children, uh, husbands, show your wives, show your, your mothers how much you appreciate them. Pamper them this weekend. And always remember to support those that support you from the press box to press row is presented by DW Communications. Don't cry, mama. The baby boy and weather the storm. And I found peace right here in your arms. By the way, how you getting along? Huh? I know it's been tough bearing the pain since daddy's been gone. But all in all, you still stood tall and never shed a tear. I'm thanking God you're still here. Cause only heaven knows all my heartaches and setbacks. Going from a high school dropout to Chevrolet wet wax. I never gonna forget that. Look in your eyes when you told me that my grandfather died. It was like nothing had happened. And I'm knowing that you're missing, but to accept death is just a sign of a good Christian. And I've listened to your words, and I've lived it in life. Living it in life, step by step, but I've taken it right. Taking it right. Knowing I can't make it alone. You told me not to buy your new house because I'm heavy to home. And as hurt as I was, I had to smile with you. Thank God that we crossed paths to one strong sister. And I'm never going to forget you. Heaven sent us an angel in the world, gon' miss you. Mom, all I hear is Rams praying. I keep saying, boss.